and in other news, the tragedy of Junior Seven took place exactly one year ago. Prior to a ceremony to mourn the lives lost, Supreme Council Chairman Klein made this statement. A most unfortunate incident. In its wake, it leaves behind only a profound sorrow. We shall never forget. By the way, you're engaged to that young woman, correct? Welcome to It's a Gundam, the episode-by-episode episode Gundam Seat podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy. I'm Puru 2, a Puru for pigs. That was pretty good, but it's pretty inside. Also, you're not you're not Puru 2. <laughs> it's also the wrong series. Also, it's now Play 2. What, what? Well, now that Bandai has assumed direct control of Gundam, they've decided it translates as Play instead eh, of Puru. Okay. I can live with that, honestly. Puru sounds better to me. And my name is Zach. Although it could be Pureyu. But it wasn't. <laughs> Puru 2 is weird. Puru 12 is great. There's another one? Yeah, yeah she shows up in Gundam clones. Unicorn. Ah. Yeah, she likes Parfait. That's her character trait. That's <laughs> <laughs> such characterization, guys. It's yeah, great. that's about as much as you get in a lot of those series. That is true. I feel like you get more than that in Final Fantasy VI. Yeah, Final Fantasy VI is pretty good. I feel like some of the characters you don't get much. I think all of them get more than a Parfait, though, so... Except maybe Go-Go. All right. This week we have a slow episode. Next week, too. We're in a little slow stretch. This week is The Scar of Space. It's a very world-buildy episode. Yes, I find I really like these. You describe them as slow. I'm like, oh, man, exposition. I'm so ready for oh, this. Oh, this is why I don't like Gundam Wing, is it doesn't have this exposition that I crave. This isn't a downturn. This is a very world-buildy episode, and next week will be a very character-developing episode. And I I'm have looking forward to it. I have... Things that I never noticed before that are driving me insane, having watched this episode again. This episode, we get a lot about Zaf's internal politics, a lot about how they work. We finally see the Bloody Valentine tragedy, although not in as much detail as I thought, and I wonder if that's ever shown in the show or if it's only in other media. I mean, it's kind of implied. We'll talk about what you think it is, since you're the only one who doesn't explicitly know when we get to that point in the episode. All right. So we've got that. We get more foil characters introduced this episode. We get the third girl. <laughs> Natarl and Maru are women. <laughs> okay, uh, good point. Is Kigali back yet, or is she off in space still? Uh, yeah, she, you're going to be waiting a while. Okay. Lacus is gone before Kigali is back. You know, that's really sad because she seemed like, you know, kind of an interesting character, has some, like, internal conflict established in the first episode, and then she's gone. She's yeah, gone. it's a while before she's back, and I think that's one of the few mistakes this show makes. She got put she on a space bus. Yeah, she doesn't stick around long enough. Also, I've read, I don't know that I actually believe this, but that between Kigali, Flay, and Lacus, they share one line between each other. I think that's actually not true, but I've read that as a stat. Like, all what? together, or? or? No, like, they exchange one line. Is the entire, huh. between but, all of them. I feel like Flay and Lacus being on the same ship at the same time, that has to be wrong. Yeah, so do I, but I've seen it in a number of uh, sources that I normally trust. Well, well maybe between if maybe between all three of them. They share like, one line each? No, between the three of them, to, as a group, yeah, they that's only what share one thinking, line as a, as a unit. Could because be. I can actually tell you... I can't think of a time Flay all three and of them are have, together, actually. Flay and Lacus have more than one line together. Yeah, that's what I thought. In, like, the next I think episode. In, yeah, in the next episode, they have more than one line. Well, we can count. It'll be easy. I think he's right, though. I don't think Flay Lacus and Kigali are all in the same place. All right, so I don't know that I have any big introductory topics before this episode. 
other than exposition and world building are cool. Indeed. Yeah, I'm actually kind of liking the exposition episodes more than I'm... Like, the action's good, but I really enjoy seeing all the random politics for some reason. So do I. This is why I like Gundam, bro. (laughs) Tyler? That's why it's better than Mazinger. I like Gundam. I like when they show this kind of thing. But let's remember one thing about me. I like Battletech. That is true. That has a lot of houses and politics in it, too. 75% of Battletech novels are house politics. And then the court, I mean, the clans come in and just ruin everything, right? <laughs> no, that's... The clanninators? The clans aren't actually as bad as Fear the Boot makes them out to be. No, I actually don't hate the clans. The only real affection I have for a Battletech product is MechWarrior 2, where you play as one of the clans fighting the other clan, or the other one of the others, I guess. As a random side note, I work with, like, yeah, he's probably about 60-year-old guy who's like me in another 40 years, who is a diehard Mazinger fan. Are you sure it's Mazinger and not Macross? Oh, no, you're right. Definitely Macross. Because you keep saying Mazinger, and I'm like, well, that is a thing. It's not super Gundam-like. Macross is more Gundam-like. No, yeah, literally every time I've said Mazinger ever, I've meant Macross. And so. people have told me Moo is just straight up a Ma- Macross character they stole and put in Gundam. That's okay with me. But so. I've never been able to find that again. I remember reading that and being like, that's really interesting. And then when we started this podcast, I looked for it because I wanted to look into that character and could not find it again, which makes me wonder if it was someone trolling me. Yeah, well, I can probably use my deep internet foo and come up with no more information. I've never even watched one, so I've never really watched a full Gundam either. I dislike Macross on principle. Because Battletech stole from it, and they're like, hey, you can't steal from us. It was actually a lot more in-depth than that. There was a lawsuit, too. Well, they thought they actually had gotten clearance to use the designs from one side of the company that owned Macross, but the other company didn't like that. So, it... Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like the current Sailor Moon situation where no one owns the dub of Sailor Moon, which is why they're redubbing it. You mean the old dub? Yeah. With Serener? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So with that, how about we go ahead and start watching episode seven, The Scar of Space. If you want to watch along with us, you can do so for free at YouTube. Just type in Gundam Seed episode seven. And you should find it. So, Tyler, do you want to tell the new people what's been going on if if they haven't watched any Gundam Seed before? Oh, man. So, there's this kid. He's apparently some sort of genius savant one-handed hacker who happens to be working on a government project without knowing about it. He's got a lot of practice with the one-handed typing. (laughs) He's been watching a lot of Lacus Klein pop videos. (laughs) He's doing a lot of appreciating. Then this guy in a mask is like, I really don't like that colony. I'm going to blow it up. And so he does. Also, there were robots or something. I don't know. It's it's not important. And anyway, genius guy is forced onto a ship with a bunch of unappreciative people in uniforms. And also his friends, I guess. I don't don't really know who these guys are. Then they get chased by mask guy to shield place. And then shield place kind of explodes or something. It's not really clear what actually happens at the end, but I'm pretty sure everyone's dead. Glad you've been paying attention. Also, Athern, Isaac, Diarca, and Nickel are there. People yeah. have names. <laughs> no, it's definitely just Mask Guy and, and Shield Kira. Place. Okay, well, if you couldn't get that, watch some old episodes of Gundam Seed. They're free and they're really good. Or listen to old episodes of our podcast. They're also free and a quality. <laughs> All right, so episode seven begins with the same shot of a colony we've got a lot. But instead of exposition talking about Tyler's great explanations of the series so far, we instead see the Versalius getting ready to dock and Raoul Le Creuset, a.k.a. Mask Guy, <laughs> talking with the ship captain Addis. Basically, they're talking about how Heliopolis, which is the... The place that he blew up because he didn't like the look of it. Uh, yeah, or rather how Orb, the nation that owned Heliopolis, 
is kind of upset about the whole our colony was destroyed. And Rao's like, you know, man, you need to consider this from a much more important perspective. Ours. <laughs> because Rao is a baller like that. And Addis is like, well, okay. Hey, are you going to take Atherin Zala with you? And he's like, yeah, Atherin's cool. He's rational. <laughs> he also killed some guys. So thinking about the last episode, we uh, discussed the mechanic whose name I forget. and Murdoch. Murda- oh, man, that's an excellent name. And Moo, both being the cool uncle character. Yeah. Is it really necessary to have two cool uncles? No, but I think it's cool that they have a mechanic guy. I mean, the Archangel is kind of stuffed with characters, isn't it? <laughs> Murdoch is, is not as involved a character in a lot of ways because he doesn't show up as I mean, overtly clearly. as Moo. And it's not even so much that he is the other cool uncle. He's more of another type of guy that's on there. Moo has more emotional intelligence, I think. Moo is always asking, hey, Kira, are you okay? Hey, what happened? So anyway, after the intro, we then cut to the Archangel, which is celebrating escaping S.H.I.E.L.D. place. Which could have literally not happened as far as we're concerned. Unfortunately, yeah, especially since we'll soon learn they didn't get any supplies from it. Well, the question here is, if it didn't occur, they wouldn't have actually lost their pursuers. So they wouldn't have had the opportunity to go around to getting into this I mean, they could have, like, lost them in an asteroid field or something, right? Also, they talked earlier, hey, can't we outrun them? No, we can't outrun the Versalius, which is now gone. Presumably they're faster than the Gaumau, which is the remaining ship. They could have made it as simple as that. Okay, that's entirely possible. Are they two different class ships? I thought there was Yeah, the one's a Laurasia and one's a Nazca class. Okay, and Nazca is faster. Sense. It's an interceptor well, type just, ship. Now they don't have anybody actually actively chasing them. Well, and Rao's like, ah, bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> I well, think that's what everybody's reaction to bureaucracy is, Tyler. <laughs> that is here, true. Here they do establish that Artemis is being super blown up, and that's how they were able to escape. Because presumably it takes Zaft a few minutes to bombard the giant space rock. <laughs> but, as I said before, they still don't have any supplies. They're short on water, short on missiles, short on basically everything. Water becomes a much bigger problem relatively shortly as we transition over to the civilian quarters. Yeah, well, and Sai's like, hey, Flay, you need to apologize to Kira or things are going to be mega awkward. And Tala's sticking up for Kira, as he always does, saying, hey, you didn't even think about the situation. People are totally space racist, don't you know? And Flay's like, I don't get it. I'm naive, but I'll apologize anyway. Yeah, basically. And we get some shots of Kira angsting while they talk. Kira angst. It's not as good as Ath angst, but... So Flay agrees to apologize only basically to appease Psy. Which, to be fair, Argyle! (laughs) And that's when we find out that they didn't actually get any supplies at Artemis. I mean, it was already kind of implied because they commander there was like oh i don't know it'll take a long time to get you supplies guys better sit tight where does the giant space rock get supplies yes <laughs> presumably somebody would bring them supplies so rao and atherin arrive at the plants and they go into a shuttle and they immediately see atherin's dad pat <laughs> who is apparently president supreme of the army I don't really know what his rank is, but he's basically in charge of the army, and he's the second most powerful person in the Zaft government structure. after yep. Supreme Chairman Klein, who is basically president. So Rao and Pat start talking about the situation. Basically, they agree. Rao wanted the mention of Kira being a coordinator struck from the record. Because a nation of coordinators fighting another coordinator? What would he think? Well, the first time I thought this, I thought Rao was a cool dude, and he was doing it for Athern, so Kira wouldn't be seen as this giant enemy. But it's clear more is going on now that I'm older and understand politics. And they're both trying to escalate the war by making it seem like a natural is capable of all these things. 
when the naturals can barely pilot them. Okay, I was actually going to comment on this. I liked the spacing in this scene because I thought Atherin was actually sitting two rows behind the other two, but it's just a really oddly shaped seat. So, never mind. But he's still pretty far back. They're very luxurious seats. He's and clearly second class to the two in the front. The way it, this scene is structured, it actually, and I think this is intentional, makes it seem like Atherin is actually closer to Rao than he is to his own father. Yeah, and well, it's very clear. His father opens up with, you guys never saw me here which I think is in part because they're colluding about the big hearing that Rao is about to be on. But I think there's also some pushing my son away stuff. Yeah. So Rao and Patrick are very much on the same page. They seem to want to escalate the war, and Patrick especially notes that there's a moderate faction he doesn't want to have to deal with. Those damn moderates, and they're not wanting to spend all the resources on war. Jeez. Atherin is very conflicted because he doesn't want Kira labeled an enemy, but he seems kind of uncomfortable with the way they're manipulating the facts. But again, this is his father and his commander, so you can't really do anything, especially from a Japanese cultural perspective, where you have to really respect your elders. Well, and it makes it seem like Atherin's like, oh yeah, you know, that's a really smart statement. Atherin knows what's going on. He's He's not not naive about this, and he seems conflicted about it. But I think ultimately he he agrees with his father. We need to end the war quickly, so we need to ignore any... Have a show of force. Yeah. So then cut back to the Archangel, where they're short on water. Tall starts choking, and they have very small water rations. And, and they, like, chide him for joking about it, even though he's dying Titus-style. <laughs> Sai goes to sit down next to Flay, who is not having it. This is one of my favorite scenes in the entire show so she far. Bounces away, she constantly just bounces away from him. Yeah. <laughs> he tries to scoot after her because he can't take a hint, and then she scoots away further. He's like, hey, what's up? And she gets all bashful because she couldn't take a shower this morning, and clearly she's completely pampered. <laughs> Well, maybe she just has really bad B.O., man. And she doesn't want her boyfriend dealing with that. <laughs> so Kira comes in. He's complaining about lack of water, too, because it makes the strike maintenance harder. And Sai's like, Flay, do it. Come on. Apologize. You gotta. So Flay apologizes, and Kira's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Spoiling her more because he is mad crushing on her. Also, And he-, he has a natural inclination to avoid conflict. He is. Or he does. I really believe that he did not care that much about her doing that. But so. it caused him so much trouble there. Like, he got that traitor comment, and that's, like, all he was stewing about. And he was literally crying at the end of the last episode. If that last episode did anything, it was put Flay in that situation. That is create true. this awkward moment. And so Flay gives Sai a look like, so you told you. It's no big deal. I'm perfect. So the Archangel staff is talking about how they want to get to the moon quickly, but they're worried about going through the debris belt which is this very science fiction thing that doesn't come up much in the series. But basically, it's just a ring of artificial space junk that's formed around the Earth. All the trash we've had to dump since going out into space. My problem with this argument, though, is that you guys are in space. Go above the belt. Well, here's the thing. is What if it's not just a ring? Actually, it's supposed to a sphere around the Earth? We have an asteroid belt that is actually a belt, because that's the way objects in space long enough work. I mean, it's possible they haven't been in space long enough, or it's possible that it'll take them too much energy to go over the top of it because they're moving outside of a gravity well. And they are low on resources, as has been very established. It just seemed kind of silly in a sci-fi show that they couldn't just fly over it. Well, and then Moo starts to get an idea, and we see his catchphrase for the first time. When he asks, wait, am I a man who can make the impossible possible? possible? <laughs> and he is, Koi is, he is very pleased with himself. Doing we don't this. know why he's pleased with himself at the moment, but he's very pleased with himself. So something this episode does really well, and actually I think Gundam Seed does well as a whole, is it always keeps the action moving. And one way it's able to do that is because Atherin is sort of a deuterogonist to Kira, 
you can cut to the Zaft forces very easily, and it's not like that cutting to the villain scheming thing. <laughs> you can cut to action over there whenever things get boring on the Archangel, and it kind of works. I just wanted to cut over to uh, Char going, how do I fuck with Amaro today? <laughs> <laughs> so we cut to Rao and Atherin for some straight-up exposition that's pretty awkward. They're on an elevator, and they start seeing the news. We see Supreme Chairman Klein for the first time, and his daughter Lacus finally. Who's, like, in a bunch of the non-plot stuff, and we finally get to see her. She's kind of standing awkwardly next to her father. Yeah, like, she is. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Also, apparently Athrun doesn't get to sit down in the <laughs> elevator they're riding in. He just has to stand at attention in this elevator. Maybe he just feels too uncomfortable sitting down next to Rao. I think it's because Rao wants the whole bench. Yeah, that's true. Can you imagine him just, like, stretching out? <laughs> There's the news report. They're basically talking. It's been one year since the Bloody Valentine tragedy, and Lacus is going to go as part of a memorial delegation. And Rao super awkwardly goes, hey, Atherin, by the way, aren't you engaged to her? <laughs> <laughs> Which actually is set up and worded like... Oh, crap, we need to tell the audience that there's a connection between these two characters. And I'm kind of disappointed because I thought this was revealed later and something that I think is a much better reveal when it's revealed to some other characters. And this is just really awkward compared to that. Both of them are already aware of this. They're only mentioning it for the sake of the audience. If they, in fact, do it later for, to some of the other characters, they probably could have skipped this and just said, Hey, you know that girl in the uh, eye catch? Hey, here she is now. Though, to be fair... Atherin is going to have some motivation because of her, and this makes a lot more sense if we know it beforehand, but this is a super awkward way for it to happen. And we get a very royal wedding feel, though, which is good, because Rao's like, yeah, so, you know, the two children of two committee members who are super important getting married, it'll be great, it'll be a celebration, you guys need to do good. And we need to prevent you from dying until you can get there. Seems really weird to put him in his frontline combat team, though. Yeah, it's I know. So I thought that, too. But I was like, it's our responsibility to protect those people, including you, who is one of the people that we... <laughs> we totally haven't just lost, you know, half of our team in combat. Poor Rusty. And Miguel. And Miguel. Oh, and man. two other Olar? unnamed pilots. Olar? Oh, Olar was his name? Distinct from Olimar. So then we get some Benghazi hearings. That was funny when we recorded this. I bet it's not funny when you're <laughs> listening to it. But we get the special inquiry into why Rao destroyed Heliopolis. And again... So we don't see any boring hearing stuff, even though Tyler and I would be totally into that. Every time Rao or Atherin is about to say something, we cut back to the Archangel. But this is actually a very good intercut. I was talking earlier about how they use it a lot. Here it's used very effectively. Why is, Why is play, play on the, on the bridge? bridge? The, my notes ask that three times with increasingly severe curse words. <laughs> Especially since they made a big deal about how they can't be on the bridge without uniforms, even when they were about to go into combat and getting a uniform would be hard. Flay is just in her pink dress. See, it would make a lot more sense if they were doing the speech that they're talking about in the mess hall. That way Flay could be there and be perfectly not out of place. Here she's just basically... Oh crap, you're a main-ish character. We're going to bring you onto the bridge. And they're going to actually and they didn't bring want it up to redesign her dress. <laughs> well, later on they're going to bring it up again where civilians can't be on the bridge. Yeah, and she doesn't even do anything here. It's not like she helps them what's what's about to go on. I think she goes with the first one, but I can't remember actually Did seeing she even her so say I don't anything? know. No. Also, though, I kind of want to point out something that I think is kind of cool. Flay is still in that pink dress while everyone is in uniform even in the mess hall even casually. And that does a good job of creating visual separation on because Is that she's, important? I think it's intentional, is what I would say. Because she's not helping out with everything. It is she's a, still part of their group, clearly hanging out with them. But she's not like, oh, you guys are all helping. I should too. 
it is a clear divide because when is Kira that is important later, well, remember, I'd argue when is. Kira is helping, they all sign up. Yep. But Except for Flay. Well, Flay. Yeah. Well, well, she wasn't there at the time. Yeah, but she doesn't sign up. But now that all of them are there and they're already participating and helping out, she's still just in that pink dress, kind of acting as Jeremy mentioned earlier, being kind of pampered. Where she's a clear outsider compared to what what the rest of them are already doing. Like, does that come up ever? Though, I guess is what I'm asking. Kind of. Okay. Fair enough. I don't want to spoil things. Okay. So anyway, Moo is having a lecture about, hey, I've got a plan to get supplies. And I'm and telling these kids for no apparent reason. Well, they ask them to help. Moo is kind of weirdly coy about this still. He seems super proud about this. He's like, yeah, we're going to go into the debris belt. We're going to find, you know, some derelict ships or something. And we're going to try to find water. So can you guys be on these sweet balls? Why we're asking a bunch of civilians pilot instead of any of the military crew, I don't know. To be fair, they have very limited military crew, so it's entirely possible that a lot of the military guys they have on board are more don't important. actually, well, that and don't maybe not have the piloting. Also, we see some of them out there with them. That is true. So I do think it's a manpower thing. I'm just also, wondering why tell the kids and no one else. So they're very realistic about this. Hey, we know this isn't great. It's kind of grave robbing, but it's kind of what we have to do. I'm not entirely certain why this is an issue. Yeah, it, I would just. It I is a little morally gray. They're not going to use it anymore. I'm not going to take anybody's life savings. I'm mo- I'm alive. They're dead. I need the water. They don't. I'm taking it. But Gundam has always been about shitty teenagers becoming useful <laughs> in the world. And this really is the adults being reasonable with that attitude and the teenagers being ideal and kind of against it. But they do give in. That is true. I apparently have a streak that is just, I'm not sure why a lot of issues are issues in Gundam. Because these kids were raised with really absolute morals. It's a show about developing relative moral stances. So then we get the eye catch, because we're already halfway through this thing. It's and moving pretty quickly for a yet. slow episode. Hey guys, it's Jeremy, and thank you again for listening to episode 7 of It's a Gundam. I had real trouble naming this one, so hopefully I didn't name it anything too offensive, and it was very funny. I hope so. I still haven't decided, so we'll see what fate decides. Speaking of fate, we have submitted our podcast finally to Apple Podcasts, so with any luck, we are on there now. If not, we should be approved in the near future. So next week, I will announce the new cutoff date for the contest. If you don't know, we are giving away a Freedom Gundam 2.0 model kit, Master Grade, a copy of Gundam the 08th MS Team on Blu-ray, and a copy of Gundam 08th MS Team on DVD. All you have to do to enter that is email us at Gundam at lasttimeonvideogames.com or tweet with the hashtag Gundam Podcast. Either of those or both will enter you. And not many people have entered yet, so you have a very, very good chance of winning if you just do one of those things, and you can double it by doing both. If you want to check out our other podcast or see past episodes, you can see those at lastpodcasts.com. This week on Last Time on Video Games, we played Warcraft 3, which is one of my favorite games of all time, so that's a pretty good episode. But yeah, send us those emails and send those tweets to get yourself some cool Gundam stuff. Anyway, I'll let you get back to the episode. Bye. So we cut to after Rao's opening statements where he's like, yeah, we were just attacking military installations and it was collateral damage. And specifically, he blames the Earth forces for escalating the conflict with their giant beam cannon. (laughs) And he's the one that retaliated by bringing in heavy weapon or heavy artillery, which is actually what caused the total collapse of the colony. I think it's more the Archangel, although the heavy weaponry didn't help. No, it was specifically the 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 actual cause of the collapse from the second or third episode was the 
anti-ship missiles that the djinns bring in. So the council is all like, oh man, Orb are assholes. And this seems to sway them. And then there's sort of, it doesn't break down, but there's a lot of chatter. And then Patrick gets up and completely softballs to Rao. So are these enemy mobile suits we captured really worth it all? Total softball. And Rao brings in his, I don't want to say secret weapon, but he's like, hey, can Atherin talk? And we see the Supreme Chancellor, Supreme Chancellor, this isn't Star Wars, the Supreme Chairman being sort of nervous about it, but he kind of can't say no. Yeah, like, Rao kind of puts him in a position where he can't say no. I just find it how reluctant he is to, like, hear information from another viewpoint for some reason. It doesn't seem like reluctance to me. It seems like he realizes he's in a corner and this isn't going to go his way. Yeah. And the, there's nothing he can do about these it. These two That's people how I are basically it. ganging up on him. The, somehow they coordinated this. That's because Rao is a genius. So, Atherin starts giving his testimony and we cut to the Archangel crew. Kira goes out in the strike. Everyone else goes out in little minestrels. When I first saw this, my initial thought was, why exactly is Kira going out in the strike and not piloting That's one exactly of these That's exactly what I thought. But here's the thing. You send him out in the strike because of its maneuverability. This is what I realized later. You send it out because it's maneuverable and it can defend the minstrels just in case they come under attack from something. They or are they still technically stuck. being hunted. Yeah, or if they get stuck somewhere, he can actually pull them out with the... Uh, Hands. Strikes hands. I was also going to say it has bigger arms than the pods, <laughs> so it could carry more if they found something big. Yeah, there's actually quite a bit of reasons, but my initial thought was, why send the strike out? It's not combat, but then you actually think about the reasons, like, that actually makes sense. And that's why Trotmobiles are a thing. So Atherin's testimony further convinces the council that things have gone poorly. A few are trying to argue that it's not that big a deal, but the feeling is generally we need to step things up, we need to strike before they can mass produce. To be fair, that's kind of the case, given how powerful the strike has already been displayed to be. And if it is only piloted by a natural pilot, as they believe it is, that would be incredibly dangerous. Yeah, Zaft is done for at that point. Yeah, given that it's already kind of wrecked face, it hasn't actually done a whole heck of a lot when it actually comes to total damage. But, but it's been one on four. Yeah, it's been so. constantly one on four, and they haven't shot down that ship. And Rao smirks, you know, very assholishly seeing this I, reaction. I actually have a comment here that's Rao smirk. So clearly things have gone his way. Atherin is a lot more torn up about it, although his expression is kind of neutral. He's got those big eyes that say he's kind of clearly uncomfortable with the lie he's helped perpetrate. So again, cut back to the strike, because that's what we do. And as we're seeing what the Archangel crew are discovering, we get a speech from Patrick Zala that's not really a good speech, it's pretty generic, but it does sort of paint Zaft less as an evil empire and more as a... I actually really like what they did here, because they're interspersing the Archangel and their crew and their attempts to retrieve equipment and supplies from this debris belt while he's making his speech about combat and well, going he's talking about how ruthless the enemy is, and meanwhile the enemy's reacting to it horrified. They're reacting to something we don't see. Basically, he's talking about the Bloody Valentine tragedy, and the Archangel crew discovers the remnants of it. Although I had noticed initially, the Bloody Valentine tragedy was basically, as far as we can tell, an unprovoked attack on a space colony that caused it to explode. It was space 9-11. But it, like, vented people and stuff out into space. There were no bodies just floating around with the debris yet. <laughs> Wouldn't they decompress? The bodies? Yeah, I don't I mean, know space still... physics very well. Their blood would boil. There would still be bodies in space. Okay. Well, we see the colony being ripped apart. It uses a lot of the same footage as when Heliopolis was destroyed. I'm not sure if that's just to save money or to try to draw a deliberate parallel. Perhaps both. I was thinking the second, but yeah, it serves the convenient other purpose. And it's pretty clear that the Earth forces are shocked to find it there. 
So again, Patrick Zala's speech isn't bad. It's just kind of generic. It seems like the only way we can protect ourselves is to fight, then we must. But it's not worded very well. It's translated really poorly, I think, it's and it's already really not great. bad in English. It comes off as a little immature when they're trying to make it a big deal. But then we see the uh, Federation crew discovering, like, a mother grasping her child dead in the vacuum of space. I just realized that it does not seem to be particularly well-insulated pilot suits. They do not seem like they would hold up very well in a vacuum. They're as good as the ones in Shattered Horizon. <laughs> when the speech concludes, the Supreme Chairman of Zaf looks around, pretty much completely defeated. The only water the crew of the Archangel was able to find, unfortunately, was on Junius 7. So they start having debate about whether or not to take it. And Mu, again, has to be the super reasonable one, pointing out, hey, no one's going, yay, we found water, but we kind of have to take it. It's our only option. Which clearly sits poorly with the kids, but they relent. Flies back on the bridge. Not in a flight suit. She wasn't out there. She's still in her pink dress. When they found the body, I thought she was in the back, but it's not. It's um, Miralia. Now, she's just there. Not doing I really anything. like Kira's flight suit as a random aside. Oh, I really f- like it. It just like it said, it, look really good. It doesn't look like it would do well in space. No, no. So as the meeting lets out, Athern talks to Supreme Chairman Klein, and in contrast to his father, he's like, "Hey, you don't have to stand on ceremony," which I think does an even better job of showing how Athern's relationship with his father is distant. Because I think this sort of implies that he has to yes sir his father and salute him yeah. all the time. Klein comes off as a person I would probably have elected. So <laughs> he's, Klein he's... comes off as a decent guy. Exactly. The only problem with name is his first name is Siegel. Siegel Klein. <laughs> I'd vote for him. <laughs> Should have named his daughter Pelican. He talks about the irony about how Atherin's finally home and Lacus has to be away on business. And Arthur's like, sorry. He's like, well, don't say sorry to me. And then it pans out, and we get a scene of a giant, like, winged whale fossil. Which comes up later and is kind of explained, but never really talked about. Yeah, it's like a whale dactyl, is what <laughs> I called it in my notes. It's cool, but it makes a decent set piece, but it doesn't seem to reinforce the themes and the camera It's just kind of there. It. It's almost like somebody in the crew drew something like this up, and they went, that's kind of cool, and they just decided to stick it in the... I assumed it was like some metaphor for Zaft or something. Does that never come up again? No, it comes up. Like, for one, they explain where they got it, and that's kind of important. But I assumed it was supposed to say, like, look at this species, look at how it evolved and became better, and that's the coordinators, and look at how we let it go extinct, let's not do that again. And it serves as a reminder, but I might be reading way too much into that. The series is clearly good enough that it's making you read into it, or this podcast is. <laughs> it might be a combination thereof, but... We just overanalyze everything, apparently. Uh, Seagull tired telling Atherin, hey, I understand what your father is getting at, but then they're interrupted by Rao and Pat. And Rao tells Atherin, hey, you have to leave because in 72 hours we got reinforcements and you were going after the Archangel. Which, do they start calling it the legged ship here or is that later? Like, I don't later. remember. I thought he was always calling it the legged ship. Zeon called the white base the Trojan horse because obviously they didn't know what it was called. And to keep that tradition, Zaft calls the Archangel the legged ship. Presumably because it has the two forward things that look like legs. Ah. Well, I totally understand why they call it that. I have not seen that term yet, so I don't think they started calling it that yet. Okay. Now we get to see Pat and Siegel talk, and again, foil characters. They're clearly kind of friends or friendly rivals, but Siegel is very much against escalating the war, and Patrick thinks it's the only way forward. Well, it also makes a lot of sense in terms of that manner, because Siegel's a civilian, whereas Patrick Zala is a military Military officer. So he's going to think of things in terms of military matters. If the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. I think you can also say Siegel clearly is a guy who wanted to go into government and Patrick wants to run the military. Yep. We get a couple scenes of Lack is like singing on a wind farm. 
Yeah, the next <laughs> scene is set to Lacus's one pop song. I think she has more than one, but this is the one that plays most often. She's on every TV singing. It's also her. clearly propaganda about the Janius incident. Well, yeah, because she went to go to the memorial of it. Can we talk about Lacus's dress for a second? How do those sleeves stay on? Yeah, I, I love Lacus as a character. I kind of hate her outfit. She's got the shoulders showing, but then she's got the giant collar that's hiding everything. <laughs> I actually she's got like her it. collar popped. <laughs> I don't know. I actually really like her dress. So I like it more the more I see it, but I never really liked it. Also, her hair accessory is great. Great for jokes. Yes. <laughs> I, I've shown that to more than one girl and they'd be like, what is in her hair? <laughs> Alex, what is in her hair? It's yeah. a cell phone. What? <laughs> I'm joking. Oh. You know what? That, she, that's a joke. I you saw know what that actually is for? So you can tell the difference between her and a different character later. Partly, it's also partly a secondary um, self-defense weapon. It's ah. a shuriken. Ah. I was thinking it was one of those uh, like punching claws, a Kaiser, or brass knuckles, more appropriately. Oh, no, I think that is... If it's got a handle on the other side, it could easily be brass knuckles. It's space fashion, Jeremy. It's fine. I actually don't dislike the hair accessory. I just like to make fun of it. The dress, I actually... Like, the high collar with the shoulders just... I think it looks cool. Okay. So, clearly we have different taste. cool, but... I think it looks cool. So, Lacus is singing her song, which is kind of a generic love song about not being with the one you love and hoping they'll return. And Atherin's like, oh! I think high collars <laughs> is just a zaft fashion, since all the stuff they have is high collared. And we cut between Atherin visiting his mother's grave and the crew of the Archangel, in particular the civilians and one of the kids, sort of making paper flowers to honor the dead. Maybe it's a Japanese thing. It seems kind of weird. They scatter them all across the continent, and that looks pretty cool. Yeah, it is actually a Japanese thing. That's like the thousand cranes or whatever. It's a callback to that. I really like as uh, Atherin is walking up to his mother's grave. I'm like, are those flowers for Kira? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, when they spread these flowers out, they actually give you a shot of the crew of the Archangel. And again, we still have all those lines coming up where the Earth forces are evil and all that crap obviously we know they're not because we've and they're holding them. a memorial but they're basically holding a memorial for this and maru's actually holding like a locket or a necklace her, her of pendant. Some kind. yeah this yeah. is the first time we see a and they're clearly that. treating it as a tragedy as well yeah so clearly there's still some more facts that we as viewers don't actually know yet so yeah we see atherin in front of his mother's grave which has some uh, randomly typed english characters on it because no one will check that right the show isn't going to america lenore yeah, her name is Lenore. Lenore Zala. Also, it's a, like, cited Zinko. No, there's, like, CSC, uh, there's just a bunch of homeroom keys under it, actually. <laughs> That's great. Homeroom keys, you mean? Yeah, which is not uncommon for Japanese media, because English characters look cool. But her name's Lenore. Yeah, uh -huh. Lenore and Patrick begat Athern. <laughs> because they're like, we're not bringing another Lenore into this world. So, Kira spots what he thinks is a derelict ship around the debris belt. While all of the miners are using belts to chain through ice chunks. And as he's looking at the ship, he suddenly sees a gin. It's specifically a black radar gin. It's got some discs on it. It looks slightly different, but it's pretty it's similar to the it's standard gin. It's apparently a two-seater. For those lawn flights when this you get lonely. This is the first time Kira does anything proactive in the series. I would argue it's not even proactive. He, he takes aim. Like, that is the closest to proactive he's come in the series. So, Kira sees it, and he ducks behind an asteroid, and somehow the djinn, which is looking right at him as he does this, doesn't notice him. No, it it's, looking spot at, check. it's looking at the camera, also, the, we the get, ship, and you can see the eye rotating. Yeah, we get some sweet mono-eye action, which always makes mobile suits with the mono-eye look really <laughs> evil. I mean, that's been <laughs> happening since the Zaku, but these are some pretty good shots of it. Presumably that's the camera. 
Yeah, it is. Kira takes out his Star Wars targeting computer, starts to take aim, but clearly he doesn't want to shoot. He's like, come on, leave. Well, he's still leave. having like shock from having killed people earlier, and I don't think he's quite over that yet. Which again makes what happened last episode where he just jumps in the sword strike and starts fighting kind of out of character. I really wish that episode well, I, just This happened. actually makes a lot of sense where he would say, just leave. Because you don't want to fire and give away your position because if you take that guy down, somebody deployed him. I so feel somebody's like... going to come looking for him. If you take him out. What I read into this is that he just didn't want to kill another person. Yeah. That's no, I'm, say- I'm, I'm saying that it, even in that case, there are still tactical decisions not to kill him. I feel like he wasn't even considering the tactical Yeah, I think he probably wasn't. Emotion. But It's starting to go when one of the Minestrals comes up and it sees it and takes aim and gets off a few shots. Now, this is where I personally... Yeah, so at that point, I would have fired already. Well, he, yeah, he needs to shoot now because his guys get lucky that... It wasn't an instant kill. That he doesn't kill them. Because that's a lightly armored, defenseless thing there. So if he doesn't fire, those guys are dead. They should have been, but they weren't because characters. Again, it's just Kira hesitating, and I think it's really good for his character. Again, he doesn't want to be here. In contrast to Atherd, who is upset with his situation, but a military man. Well, I just, like, this paints him as passive to a fault. I think that's very much intentional. Yeah. And then he delims it, because that's what he does. But and then, then he, he kills it. Then he takes a lethal shot, and we even get, like, a gore discretion shot of one of the space <laughs> flowers going through. But then we see the actual explosion afterwards. Kira is, of course, shell-shocked. Cuzzy and Chandra, who were the two in the pot, are like, oh my god, thank you for saving uh, our life. Cuzzy, what a save. <laughs> yep. Well, and Moo, like, hey kid, what happened? And he cuts him off before Moo can even go into Well, he actually again. punched that round clean through the cockpit. So it wasn't, he, like, he took the arm off and then he smeared the pilot. Are, is the cockpit actually in the head of that? No, it's I in thought the it was center. in the chest. Yeah, well, that's where he, he fires. Yeah, he's, he hits it in the chest. Oh, it looked to me like it caught in the head. I will take your word for it. No, he totally hits it right in the center mass where the cockpits are, which is really dumb. Why is the cockpit in the most logical place for people to aim? Most star marine there. Because it's the widest part of the mobile suit, you can put the most plating. I suppose, that but it, it doesn't seem to make a difference. The, that's because beam weapons cut through everything like it's butter. So, <laughs> Depending so, on plot. So Moo tries to help through the comms, but Kira just shuts him out instantly and has some PTSD cries. Again, clearly very upset. And then he sees another life pod and is like, hey, chance for redemption. Life pods are always good. A life given for a life taken. Well, there's a sunk ship, civilian ship. There's a two-seater gen out here. Maybe he's looking for that. I thought the the sunk ship looked really old to me. It didn't even occur to me until you said that just now that they were related to each other. I don't know if that ship is supposed to be related, but the life pod came from somewhere. And if you just look at that, it's like the life pod came from somewhere. Also, the djinn was inspecting the, the sunk ship, so it might have been important to that. We never actually find out what yep. the djinn was, where it came from. Or, or what it was doing. Yeah, pretty much. But Yeah, I've always interpreted it as the life pod was part of the ship. I didn't that look that old to me. I have it does well. look pretty damaged, though. Mm-hmm. We go back inside where Kira's brought the life pod back. And Natarl is smug as hell, teasing him about bringing back all these life pods. <laughs> it is great. Now, Natarl doesn't get much chance to be fun. All the characters of note show up to check what's going on. I couldn't remember. No, Moo's not here. And a bunch Um, of guys with guns. First off, this is something that really drives me insane. Three of the four most important people on this ship are surrounding this life pod. What if it's a bomb? What if it's a bomb? I presume they scanned for that. What if the person inside comes out shooting? What if it malfunctions since they're standing in front of the door and the door comes flying out and takes somebody out? You lose Kira. You can't use the strike anymore. 
Nataro is clearly a really good combat commander, and Maru's the captain. That can't possibly happen, Zach, because they're all wearing plot armor. Also, they have six guys with machine guns pointed at the pod. Yes, because that's going to help you out a door hurtling at you at 50 miles an hour. Eh, it'll lose some momentum. I My point is, Murdoch looked at it already, so he's ready only, to open it up. Only one of them should even be there to make sure that they can't decapitate the crew with one shot. Honestly, it should be Moo. <laughs> no, Nataro. Really? Nataro? She's expendable, is Zach's argument. She's oh. the most... Because ex- no one else can pilot the Moby Zero. Mm. No one can pilot the Strike and Maru's captain. Therefore, the executive officer, Nataro, is the most expendable member of the crew. <laughs> I think they well, presume it's a civilian crew. pod, though. Probably, but, but what I'm just saying... There, there's, there's no reason for the two top members of the crew to be there. They have to react to what's going to come out. So Murdoch plays with the pod, and the door opens Suddenly slowly. So what did you think was going to be in it, Tyler, when you first saw Not what was in it. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't expect a random pink Haro? No. Uh, so Haro comes out. Going Haro Haro, and Lacus Lacus. And out flies Lacus, who does not give no fucks about gravity. <laughs> just flying like she's a perfect innocent angel child. Well, they've also kind of big implied that um, gravity seems to work off and on in the hangar. Because yeah, but, it but wasn't everyone wor- else is weighed down by gravity. I guess she's a new type and her soul isn't. <laughs> but it wasn't working um, <laughs> when they retrieved the first life pod because Flay came flying out and, not- and bumped into Kira. I assume, assume there's just it. enough gravity that if you're not in the air already, you'll just stay where you yeah, are. Yeah, probably. And I think in the next episode we even see Maybe that. Maybe they have mag boots or something. So Lacus comes flying out. Kira is stunned. I was stunned too. I assumed that what we had seen with Athrin like, watching her Cena's song was actually real-time. I thought that's why her father made the comment, oh, she went off to go do a live pop performance in a field. <laughs> I cut, well, I already, I, like, I didn't get that, but when I first saw this, I was not expecting Lacus to be in the pod. Well, it's supposed to be a surprise, and that's the episode cliffhanger, even. But Rao explicitly states that she's, like, off doing something. It might be a live performance from near Junius 7. I don't know where they would have filmed that with all the idyllic fields behind her. I just kind of assumed, because it's on TV, that it was a pre-done performance. Which makes a lot more sense, especially given that they were on a space colony, and we've already seen that transmission time can be, like, up to a week. Oh, and Lacus is the first time I ever encountered the Japanese idea of an idol. So, like... Wait, what? Really? Yeah. Lacus is your first idol? Yeah. You never forget your first one. (laughs) I I don't even know who mine was. Actually, no, it was uh, two actual real-life pop singers, now that I'm thinking about it. So, and knowing that, it definitely makes sense that she would be on every screen for some propaganda, yo. Yep. So, we got a bunch of exposition. Yep, a lot of world building. We kind of got what Junius 7 is. Details are implied enough that you can figure it out. Yeah, so honestly, I learned enough about it that I'm no longer confused as to why Zaf was like, hey, we should use this as a reason to rebel. I mean, it's like 273,000 people or something is the stat they give, which Although- is... I almost, given the, Most uh, definitely six figures. Given the council room politics that I saw, I kind of wonder whether Zaft staged it themselves to start the war. Oh, uh, that could be possible. Or a, a splinter faction within Zaft, yeah. at least. I would not put it past it. The thought occurred to me the first time I watched this episode that, man, that guy seems really eager to go to, to more wars. Maybe this is on purpose. Yeah, so. I can see that. All right, so anything else you want to say about this episode? It's slow and the next one's slow. But the slow ones are really what makes this series, I think. The combat is great, and my favorite moment is a combat moment, but it's also a... It's one that comes after three really slow character episodes, and it's just really good payoff. But we'll get there, eventually. <laughs> For now, we have to deal with Flaccus. 
And deal uh, with is an appropriate manner of putting that. I love Lacus, but early Lacus is not best Lacus. <laughs> no, I know. Lacus gets better. Lacus gets Flay much better. Does get better? Please tell me Flay gets better. Flay takes her time. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I don't want to spoil that. Flay goes a direction I'm betting you're not guessing. Probably not. Well, I'm hoping she becomes an evil psycho-terrorist, but... <laughs> yes! I'll, I'll put it this way. Flay goes pretty Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes! I called it... All right, do we want to rank a mobile suit this week? There wasn't much mobile suit action going on. I don't know that the recon gen is different enough for us nah. to rank it. We could do the ale strike. We've seen it a bit if we wanted to. We could stip ranking this week. We could rank the Archangel. It's pretty important. It it's is. It's not really I, a mobile suit. I, I like its design fairly well, too. Do we want to rank the Archangel, or should we lay off battleships? Um, I mean, ship design is part of a reason I watch mech shows. But. I think that the Archangel should be ranked on a separate ship, ship list. <laughs> so we get like four? <laughs> okay. Five. Malaysia, Nazca, whatever the Earth Alliance shift is, the Gland ship, the Eternal, the Archangel, Kusanagi. We get seven. Okay, we can do that. And I'm probably forgetting one. What's plus, the plus, plus C, Destiny, we get more. So Archangel is the, currently the best ship we've come across. <laughs> also, it's the best ship in fiction. I love the Archangel a lot. Lohan it's better than the white, it's like the white base, but good. Fire I like, it's, sledgehammers. Its design is sleeker. It's got giant laser cannons. It's got missile tubes that are really awesome to watch launch. It's bristling with guns. <laughs> Deceptively. It's like really sleek until all the guns go ploop. <laughs> all right. So Archangel will forever top our list. <laughs> Unless Tyler really, really likes the Minerva. I don't know what that is. It won't show up for a long time. Okay. Oh, man. I can't remember what that ship is called. The Dominion? The Dominion? We're not going to rank the Dominion. <laughs> for, for reasons that will be obvious when we get there. So yeah, that's it for this episode, I think, unless we have any final thoughts. What do we think of Lacus so far with her one showing up to sing a pop song? I mean, clearly the show wants us to think of her one way with the way she ejected herself from the pod and like floating midair, looking perfectly innocent. Oh, these guys are pointing guns at me. I'm just happy to be free again. <laughs> also, I, she has a pink haro that announces her arrival. I don't think she <laughs> understands what a gun does. I, am I don't half, think she knows which end makes the loud noise. I'm currently halfway in between hating her viscerally and, yeah, yeah she, she's got pink hair, I guess, so that's going for her. She does. So. And she's engaged to Atherin. How bad could she be? Well, I mean, they barely ever talk, so yep. that doesn't mean anything. Clearly, she's a closet sadist. Atherin is also not necessarily the greatest of people. He's just a main character. Yeah, but clearly he has emotions and stuff. Yeah, and he's got... I would argue he's less of a shitty teen than Kira. He respects his father. He has national pride. Kira doesn't seem to have a father, doesn't seem to know which nation <laughs> he actually works for. He won't do anything unless literally his life is in danger. Or his friend's life occasionally. Well, I mean, that endangers his life, or because he'll obviously cry himself to death if his friends die, so... <laughs> he'll have a critical existence failure. All right, pretty good one. We get to learn all sorts of stuff. And like I said, next episode, we'll get lots of character development with Episode 8, Songstress of the Enemy Forces. Wow, man. Okay, that's a name. That sounds like an RPG character title. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good, don't you think? <laughs> oh, yeah. As far as episode titles. Yeah, I like it. It's better than Phase Shift Down. I actually really liked that one. That was a good episode. I, no, I not... meant the title. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like the title of this episode, Scar of Space. It's a little dramatic. So, yeah, hopefully you'll join us next time. If you want to check out our previous episodes, our other podcasts, Last Time on Video Games, you can do that at <laughs> www.lasttimeonvideogames.com. If you like the podcast, you should recommend us to some friends 
who need more Gundam in their life, or you should go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That would help us out so much. Or maybe three. I no, a for three a... would actively harm us. I mean, that's a mediocre review. Yeah, but iTunes only accounts five-star ratings. Anything less than that, it will punish you for. What? Yep. What kind of rating system is this? Not Guys, help us! Yeah, Lacus would help us, which will happen next time. Bye. Zala accompany you at the inquiry. Yes, he was present during the incident. He also has the capacity for calm and objective analysis. I understand that Orb is outraged and has been mounting a planet-wide protest. That is, the problem should actually be viewed from a more important perspective. Ours.